0: All right, you've already heard half the scripture there, so let's, let's pray and dive in. Dear Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our savior, to save us from sin, but also to show us the truth, to show us the true fulfillment of the law to the spirit and how you, you look at our hearts and how we can live in a way that fulfills the purpose and intent of your righteous law. Pray that we take all this to heart, And give ourselves wholly to your righteous and holy will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last week, starting a week ago, we got more reminders, more examples that there are people in this world who have no respect for human life. In fact, they despise it and go out of their way to destroy it. And last a week ago, Hamas invaded the land of Israel and they committed murder, they committed atrocities, and those were not, to them, that was not a, an unfortunate collateral damage, that was the point. The atrocities were the point. And, and we know this because of their own words, <laughs> their own stated words and actions. And I'm, I'm gonna read here from a Wall Street Journal article that explains the significance of these events both to Hamas and Israel. And it says this, I quote, Israel's culture cherishes life while Hamas and its allies worship death. Years ago, Hezbollah's Secretary General Hassan Nasrallah proclaimed, we have discovered how to hit the Jews where they are the most vulnerable. The Jews love life, so that is what we shall take away from them. We are going to win because they love life and we love death. Hamas official Ali Baraka sounded this same note this week adding, we consider our dead to be martyrs. The thing any Palestinian desires the most is to be martyred for the sake of Allah, defending his land. And I don't know if that's actually true for every Palestinian, but the leaders of Hamas and the, who, those who committed those actions, that is absolutely true. They commit themselves to those very words. And so that the atrocities are the point for them. And today's scripture about murder is very timely then about how are we to think about the sanctity of every human life and how are we to live up to this ourselves in our life? Because God calls us to uphold the sanctity of every human life in our actions, in our words, and right down into your heart. So I'm gonna read here Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Jesus continuing the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So last week, we considered verses 17 through 20, where Jesus told his disciples that Jesus upholds every word of God's law, and his followers are called to live up to the righteousness of that law without hypocrisy. And so now in these verses, Jesus is applying that principle to the fifth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. And so what Jesus is he's doing here, he is not challenging the command itself. He is challenging the false interpretation by the religious teachers of his time. And basically they applied the civil law. The murderers should be judged. But they left out the heart and the spirit. What is and the relationship of God, and how our heart is involved in this. So these words, whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Judgment here means the judgment of the local authorities to condemn a murderer to death. And Jesus speaks authoritatively to them. He corrects them on his own authority. Verse 22, he says, but I say to you. Jesus speaks on his own authority as God the Son, the Word of God in the flesh. And he enlightens us to the full fulfilling of the law, the complete fulfilling of God's law. And so he's going to explain this then in three, in a series of illustrations. So the first illustration, he says here, everyone who is angry with his brother, will be liable to judgment. And this uses the exact same words about the consequence for murder. So Jesus is making very clear, there's no mistaking his words, he's equating the guilt of murder with the, with the guilt of anger in the heart. This type of anger desires, wants to see the other person destroyed, wants to see their downfall and that reveals the sin in your own heart that you would desire to see another person destroyed this anger it values your life as more precious than the person you hate so god he looks at your heart and he judges what he finds in there And so Jesus begins by teaching about the heart. And in the next illustrations, he's gonna escalate both the sin and the consequences. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. This is the high council in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. This is like their religious Supreme Court. So the highest human authority. And he's saying, if you unleash your anger, from your heart as an insult aimed at another person you are liable accountable to the highest human authority because an an insult aimed at the heart and soul of another person and it's aimed to tear them down inside to break their spirit its intent is to destroy but it is and so it's still, the intent is to destroy, it's just aimed at the heart rather than the body. And sometimes we, uh, I, don't, I want, don't want to uh, conf- lessen this in any way, but I also want to acknowledge that yes, there are sometimes people who have an understanding among each other and have friendly banter, which incl- and they insult each other in their friendly banter. Um, and that it's clearly not the same thing as this because the intent of the heart is not to actually tear down or destroy the other person, right? But what's in your heart? Um, but we got to watch ourselves. Like we got, I mean sometimes that friendly banter insult is taking it too far. And you have to really know that other person to know that the hey this is our this is our dynamic. We both of us know. Um, and you also got to think about the example you are setting for those around you because the people around you may not understand this. Um, so I don't, don't want to lessen what Jesus is teaching here in any way, but I do want to acknowledge that, yeah, yeah, some people do that. Um, but we should think of these, these principles first. They got to take precedent because an insult aimed spitefully at another person is aimed at destroying and tearing down their heart. And then Jesus' third series here. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. This action escalates insult up to public shaming. The aim is to disgrace the person in the eyes of others, to incite other people to hate and and, uh, disturb their anger against this person so that they hate them just as much as you do. And so the intent is still the destruction of this other person. And your guilt for this earns damnation in hell. There's no no mistake in Jesus' words. He's talking about hellfire. So Jesus' point here is that these sins condemn a person just as much as murder does. God looks at the heart. He sees the anger. He sees the murderous intent in the heart. So all these sins break the fifth commandment because they don't fulfill the righteous intent of the law, the good intent of the law. They don't uphold the sanctity of life. And there's other scriptures that confirm this. 1 John three fifteen, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So desiring someone's destruction is contrary to eternal life. They have nothing in common with each other. So when you sin against God in this way, you are forsaking God. Or when you sin against your neighbor in this way, you are forsaking God. You're rejecting his righteous ways, his righteous heart. You're rebelling against his authority over life and death, which means you're trying to dethrone God and he's not really your God anymore because you want to be on the throne and you want to decide who should die. Now I want to acknowledge there are ordained exceptions, which are obviously different from murder. When you are acting in self-defense, you are not guilty of the life destroyed. If you are a member of military or law enforcement and you have been properly authorized to use deadly force and you are acting in the protection of life, then this is justified. There's no guilt. There's still, I mean, it's still a tragedy any time a law, life is lost. And one of the tragic conditions of our world is there is that there are people out there who are so bent on the destruction of others that they cannot be stopped except their own death but self-defense and national defense are justified and it is an evil lie to say to a person or a nation that they must accept the deaths of their people to spare the lives of their murderers that is an evil lie we should stand with those who uphold the sanctity of life and we should always uphold the right of every person to defend their own life. But back to this here how do we live this out? How do we fulfill, try to fulfill this commandment in our lives through its full righteousness in spirit that Jesus calls us to? And one of the things I appreciate about Martin Luther's small catechism is he explains the, the commandments in terms of positive fulfillment, not just breaking them and he does this based on jesus example and here's luther's explanation of the fifth commandment we should fear and love god so that we do our neighbor no bodily harm nor cause him any suffering but help and befriend him in every need so simple to the point but full and good this is the righteousness Righteousness that the followers of Jesus seek the good of our neighbor in every way. And now, in the next illustration, Jesus taught how seriously this affects your relationship with God. Verse 23 and 24. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now, we don't have a temple and an altar, so imagine yourself. You have come to church. You have come to communion. You are genuinely, sincerely seeking to draw near to God. And while you're there, your conscience reminds you, oh, I have done something wrong against another person. And that person may not even be mad about it. They may not even know about it. But you know, and your conscience recognizes you're wrong. Jesus says, stop everything and go make it right. Don't tell yourself, oh, I'll go right after church. He says, no, go now. Leave the rail, leave communion, leave the building. Go find that person. Confess what you've done. Apologize for it. Seek to make it right if it can be. Ask for their forgiveness and seek reconciliation. It's a radical, Jesus calls for the most radical reconciliation and action. And this illustration demonstrates how seriously Jesus, how seriously God takes our sins against each other. No worship is acceptable from a guilty, unrepentant heart. Because in your unrepentance, you are you're forfeiting your relationship with God. You cannot rightly worship him while you have unrepentant sin that you're not willing to give up. But when you confess your sin and you seek to reconcile, then by God's grace in Jesus, the wrong is removed and the command is fulfilled. And even if that person you go to, even if they don't forgive you, You have done what you needed to do. And in confession and repentance, you have reoriented yourself to the righteousness of God and to the fulfillment of the command and toward the sanctity of your neighbor. And then Jesus says, come, come, come to God and and offer your gift. Come and worship him. So how do we put this in to practice. Well, keep short accounts between yourself and those around you. Don't let things go for long, because you you, get, you need to act while your conscience is tender. Because conscience is a sensitive thing, where in our the sin in our heart is not inclined to to respond to the conscience, because in our pride we don't want to admit that we did anything wrong. And also, the longer you wait and the more guilty acts you start to carry, the more numb your conscience grows. And things that used to bother you, you don't even notice. And yet, the bur- burden of guilt will still continue to grow heavier on your heart, conscience and on your mind. But when we act on it, when we confess and repent, Then Jesus removes the guilt as he promises and he cleanses the conscience and there is joy. There is joy in restoration. There's joy in having a clean conscience that is free from the burdens of guilt. So listen to your conscience. Let God inform it by his word. Let God awaken it with his spirit and act quickly upon it. Keep short accounts between yourself and others and with God. And now the final illustration. Jesus warns us to act while we can. Verses 25 and 26. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So on one level, this is, this is practical wisdom, right? Make amends one-on-one because if they take you to the court, then there's not going to be a compromise after that. You will be sentenced and you will pay. But Jesus throughout this, these verses has been, has been driving us towards the heart And the condition of our own heart and trying to consider what is God's judgment? What is his perception of us? And so he wants us to look at the eternal here. And so this illustration is a warning about the eternal judgment to come. It says come to terms with God quickly before the day of judgment comes. Because now this life is the time to seek mercy. And if you do not receive that mercy in this life, then death will hand you over to God's throne of judgment. And you will be condemned for the sin and the unbelief and the unrepentance. And he will hand you over to his angels and his angels will put you in the prison of hell forever. And there's no pain off anything in hell. Uh, Right now, on our prayer list that we we're praying for a man in prison and for good behavior, he's been allowed to go work at a recycling plant and live in a house with other prisoners and then they all wear ankle bracelets, but he's got this tremendous, even though he's in prison, he's, he's working off his fines. He's got a, his own room. He's able to go visit a church on weekends. His families have been able to visit him at church. Um, and now, well, he's working the recycling plant, he's making like $2 an hour, and all, he only keeps like 25 cents of that. The rest of it is going straight to paying off his fines. But, but the p- fines are being paid off. Like, they are ba- they're being paid off. And what this connects then on the other, to these verses here, is that there's no recycling plant for prisoners in hell. <laughs> There's no workhouse there. There's no minimum security prison that where you'll get transferred for good behavior. There's, you'll be there forever and there's no way to pay off any of it once you are there. So Jesus says, come to terms with God now because redemption is offered now. And the glorious thing about God is that he does not wait for you. He comes and seeks you out and he comes and offers terms to you. And his terms are the greatest ever. He freely offers you full pardon. And this is more amazing, when, we, as we point out, God's the offended party. Because when we sin against our neighbor, we're sinning against God's creation that he made and that he loves. We're breaking his laws, his moral laws for us. We're, we're rebelling against his authority. We're rebelling against his righteousness. And yet, he, even though he's the offended one, he comes to us, offering us terms to spare us, to spare you from judgment. And God takes care of that judgment by, he sent his son, Jesus, to redeem you. His death on the cross was the ransom paid to pay off to the very last penny what we owe. And if you'll confess your sin and repent and believe in Christ and ask him to save you, then he will remove your sin and he will give you a clean conscience and he will give you a new heart that hungers for what is righteous and holy. And Jesus himself, he is the fulfillment, the perfect fulfillment of the fifth commandment. He perfectly fulfilled this law by protecting the sanctity of every person's life by sacrificing his own life and we read also in the gospels we see jesus he, he is glorious in his mercy and his compassion and his healings and his love for all who are hurting and downtrodden and lost and brokenhearted he upholds the sanctity of every life you just look through the gospels how he values every person. He befriended those in need. And yet we see Jesus also, he is very harsh with those who are hypocritical and those who are unrepentant because these things keep you from God and keep you from eternal life. And yet yet Jesus, still, he upheld the sanctity of life, even of his enemies, even of the unrepentant and, and the hypocrites, those who hated him. Jesus accepted his own death in order to spare his murderers from hell. So Jesus, he he is the glorious, righteous fulfillment of God's law. And Jesus is also your help in fulfilling this law and living up to what he calls to here in your heart and in your words and in your actions. He daily forgives you and renews your spirit in righteousness. And you can forgive others because God has forgiven you. You can let go of your anger against others because God has let go of his judgment against you. And if we consider and look at the the injustice of the anger poured out on Jesus by the people who hated him, it should cause us to reconsider if, if your anger is actually justified. Because Jesus, he, he bore the wrath that your sins earned. And he can bear then the wrath between you and your neighbor. So what do you do with it? <laughs> we we'll turn the outcome over to him. If it's a matter at your level. Like we said, there's also an exception where you you would have to think about the protection of others. You can forgive someone, but if they're gonna continue harming others, that does you know, there's still civil, you know, civil action to protect others from harm, still needs to happen. But in your, where it's at you, at your level, give it over to God. Let Him be responsible and authoritative for the outcome. And you seek forgiveness. Seek to reconcile if it's possible. Because you can take the first step to reconcile because God took the first step to reconcile and forgive you. You can confess your sin against another person and confess it to them because you know forgiveness is possible and you know that there is joy in forgiveness and reconciliation. And also, you don't need to vindicate yourself. You don't need to destroy what offends you because Jesus is your vindication. Jesus is your justification. He is your righteousness. Jesus is your life and your joy and your peace. And when you are his disciple, you are a peacemaker. You are a life giver. And his joy can overflow in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us here, the the extreme, the sacred holy value you put on every human life and your instruction to us of how we are to, to honor and protect every other person's life by looking at our own hard attitude, looking at our words against others and seeking to put aside ourselves and to seek reconciliation with each other, and, but most of all with you, to receive your forgiveness and your restoration that we need in our hearts and between you and between each other. I pray that we would look to Jesus for this in all things and that we'd be the joy of our hearts to seek this out to, to live up to the good, holy, righteous purpose of your law. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.